Thank you so much, Emery. Beautiful song. Amen. Are you glad you're here today? Well, it's always good to be in the house of the Lord. It's always good to be with God's people. So I'm glad you're here too. You have your Bibles. We're going to look at Luke chapter 1, and I do mean Luke this morning. You were here last week and made a little faux pas. Called somebody sweetheart that wasn't my sweetheart. <clears throat> Accidentally. But uh, Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> As I was reading through Luke again um, a few weeks ago, uh, something just really struck me about uh, this family of John the Baptist. <clears throat> chapter 1 and verse 67 says, John's father was Zecharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in verse 41, it says, Elizabeth, his mother, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in verse 15, it says that John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. That is, while he was still in his mother's womb, he was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, it just struck me. There is a Spirit-filled family and begin to ask, is that an isolated occurrence? Is this the only home or family that is supposed to be filled with the Spirit? Or do other homes and families, are, can they be filled with the Spirit? Does my home and family, can my home and family be filled with the Spirit? Can your home and family be filled with the Spirit? And what would it look like today? What would your home or your family look like if, if you were filled with God's Spirit? Now, every person who's been saved who's been born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, has the person of the Holy Spirit living in them. We would call that baptized by the Holy Spirit. You have been saved, and He entered you once and for all. But being filled with the Spirit is, a, is something that happens as a result of our surrender and our uh, willingness and our obedience. See, sin grieves and quenches the Spirit of God. And when you and I sin, we've quenched Him. We've grieved Him. He hasn't moved out. He hasn't said, you know what, I'm out of here. We've just limited his power. We have limited the, uh, the ability that in, him, in our lives to live the life he's called us to live. So we need to, first of all, confess our sins, ask the Lord Jesus to forgive us, and ask Holy Spirit, fill us again. That means don't come back in, you're already in, but fill my life. Help me to experience your power once again, your presence, the confidence that I have before God. I want that again. So can that happen for you individually? Can that happen for your home? Can your home be a spirit-filled family? We looked at it last week that it starts with the husband and the wife. You remember that. It starts with the husband and the wife. Notice I didn't say mom and daddy. And I emphasized that last week because it started with Zechariah and Elizabeth before John was born. That is that husband and wife need to be right with God. And it says here, in Luke chapter 1 and verse 6, that they both were righteous before God. We talked about how you get righteous before God. And it's by faith in Jesus Christ. And we talked about from Ephesians chapter 5, what it looks like to, for a husband and wife to be right with each other. And uh, talked about the wives submitting to their husbands and the husbands loving their wives. And we'll look at that a little bit more in detail. But today, I want to answer your concerns about 
why people think that this won't work in my situation or in your situation. Well, this just won't work in my situation, Pastor. You don't understand what I live with. You don't understand who I live with. You don't know that man. You don't know that woman. You don't know those kids. You don't know my parents. That just won't work in my home. So what you're saying is God's Word don't work. Is that what you're saying? You know, of course you wouldn't say that, but that's, as a pastor, I've heard so many excuses that people give as reasons why God's ways won't work in their marriage, why it won't work in their home, why it won't work in their family. And one of the first ones is, well, my wife won't submit. My husband won't love me like I want to be loved. And I want you to call you back to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Because this is the introduction to the passage on husbands and wives. He said, Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, don't let anything else control you but the Holy Spirit. So, then he goes into talking about husbands and wives. So a husband who's filled with the Spirit, what's the first fruit of the Spirit? Love. So what do you think husbands who are filled with the Spirit are going to do to their wives? Love. And then wives who are filled with the Spirit, they're going to manifest their love to their husbands. How? By respect and submitting to their husbands. It's just natural. A spirit-filled person is going to follow the Word of God. And if you're resisting the Word of God, then you're not filled with the Spirit. The Spirit never goes against the Word of God. So we talked about, says we read this last week, and I'm just going to rehearse some of this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husband is head of the church as Christ. Husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. Christ is the Savior of the body. And he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And so we ask the question, well, who's supposed to go first in this love-submit thing? And um, the women would say, well, the man was created first, let him go first. In other words, when he loves me, I'll submit to him. The, the, The man would say, well, the wife was mentioned first then she should go first. Right, men? Sir? So, but I reminded you that that's not the attitude is defined by Christ. And wives, it's not the attitude is defined by Christ. You see, Christ loved the church. Why did, how did Christ love us while we were yet sinners? Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to submit to Him before He died for us. He died for us And by the way, everybody he died for, let me ask you this, did everybody Jesus died for submit to him? Yes or no? You know, we're results driven, aren't we? Well, if I love my wife, then she better submit to me. That's the result I'm expecting, right men? Right? Is that what the Bible says? Love your wives and she will submit to you. Is that what the Bible says? Hello, I can't hear y'all. Thank you. It doesn't say that. But we think it says that. We think, well, if I love my wife, she's going to submit. It doesn't say that anywhere. It just says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church 
How do you love the church? Unconditionally. And it also doesn't say, wives, submit to your husbands and he will love you. Wives, you have this expectation that if, if I submit to my husband, if I respect him, then he's going to love me the way I need to be loved. Is that what the Bible says? Nope. It just says, wives, submit to your husbands as the church does to Christ. And so, our example is Jesus. And we're not to be results-motivated. We're to be spirit-motivated. And I think marriages and families are falling apart because we're results-motivated. I'm not getting what I think I ought to be getting out of this marriage, and therefore I'm bailing out of this marriage. Because my wife isn't submitting, my husband isn't loving me, and I've done everything I can. I've loved her as much as I could, as best I know how. I've submitted to him and respected him as best I want, and I ain't getting nothing in return. Who said you would? Jesus didn't tell you, tell you he would because not everybody Jesus died for submitted to him. It's a simple act of willing obedience where you lay down your life to Christ. And once you gave your life to Christ, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You belong to him, and a spirit-filled person naturally does, or supernaturally does, the will of God. Despite the results. So that's one excuse I hear. Well, my wife won't submit. This won't work. My husband won't love. This won't work. And we're thinking about results instead of obedience. I wonder if, if and it's going to take a supernatural act of the Holy Spirit to change our mind about this. To change our heart and our motive about this. Because our motive is selfish. I'm going to love my wife so I, she'll be submissive. Is that a pure motive? I'm going, to res- I'm going to respect and submit to my husband so he'll love me. Is that what the Bible says? Of course not. As Christ, he's the example. He's the one that went first for us. He loved me first. And he died for me first. Here's another excuse I hear. Well, sure, you're the preacher. Y'all got a perfect marriage. You think? I think we got a pretty good one. Zechariah was a priest. Of course he was filled with the Spirit. Elizabeth was a preacher's daughter. Of course she was filled with the Spirit. John the Baptist was the the prophesied one of the forerunner of Christ. Of course he was going to be filled with the Spirit. It's easy when you're in the preacher's home, when you're a preacher. Y'all believe that? Then y'all believe in a lie to hell. I want to tell you something. It makes it harder. Y'all just don't know. Any preacher's kids in here? Any preachers? So y'all don't know squat. (laughs) The devil has made me a target. He's made my marriage a target. He's made Brian and his marriage and Bobby and his marriage a target. He wants us to fall and to fail because he knows he can take some of you with us because you have put me up on a pedestal or Bobby or Brian up on a pedestal. You think we're perfect. You think we can't sin. You think we don't sin. You think our marriage is the best in the world. And you get it all wrong. 
Not only that, but pastors' homes are under greater scrutiny. You're looking at me and my wife and my kids in a different light than you look at everybody else and their kids. And it makes it tougher on us. I was raised in a preacher's home. I know what it's like to be a preacher's kid. I know what it's like to be a preacher. I understand the scrutiny, the glass house mentality that we endure. And I understand that it's tougher on my marriage because we have to set an example. And not only that, there's the expectation of perfection. And we're treated differently than normal folks. And so the reason I share that is because you think the spirit-filled family is only for preachers' families. I'm here to tell you that the preacher's family struggles just like you struggle. Do you believe that? No! You and Ms. Tanner, y'all don't fuss and argue. Y'all don't disagree. You mean, you're the perfect dad. You never get upset at your kids. I got about four or five of them right here today uh, that would disagree with that. Your kids, they, they towed the line. They're perfect kids. Well, if you, if you saw some of mine in the growing up, you taught them in Sunday school, you know better than that. You went on youth trips with them, you know better than that. You see, being filled with the Spirit is just not for the spiritually elite. And by the way, there's no such thing. But you think there is. And that's the problem. You think we're spiritually elite. We're not spiritually elite. We're on the same level. I, I just happen to be a preacher. I just happen to be a priest that represents you to God and represents God to you. That's the only difference. I serve as a vocational pastor. Doesn't mean that I'm a spiritual elite. I want you to consider Eli in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Eli was a priest. He would have been considered a spiritual elite. But Eli failed. His home was not a home you'd want. His, in fact, his home was kind of like what most people think pastors' homes are. You know, the preacher's kids, they're the worst ones. Well, that was true of Eli. In fact, if you look at 1 Samuel chapter 2, it says the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. And God spoke to Eli. Actually, the Bible records that Eli heard everything his, everything his sons had done to Israel and how they were sleeping with the women who assembled at the door of the church house. And God uh, rebuked Eli and said, How come you're not rebuking your sons? How come you're letting them do, get away with this? And he says, You're honoring your sons more than me, and you're making yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. And God stripped the priesthood from him. You know that Israel went without a priest for hundreds and hundreds of years because a preacher's family got it wrong? Consider Hannah and Elkanah in the same passage. Elkanah and Hannah, common people, not spiritually elite, just regular old folk. And in the Bible talks about Elkanah and Hannah going every year to the tabernacle in Shiloh and offering sacrifices there. 
And then Hannah had a deep desire in her heart for a child. She was barren. And she went to the temple and she asked the Lord to give her a child. See, they were not spiritual. God heard her request and God granted her request and gave her a son named, and she named him Samuel. And she dedicated him to the Lord. And he became a great prophet and also kind of like a priest who represented the people to God and God to the people. But he wasn't of the line of Aaron as Eli was. They were just common people who loved the Lord. Mary and Joseph, the father and mother of Jesus Christ, just common people, in fact, poor people. Zacharias and Elizabeth, yeah, they were the priest and the preacher's daughter, but that's not why God chose them. So I hear that all the time. I say all the time. I don't hear it all the time, but I've, I've heard that over the course of my life in ministry. You're the preacher. You're different. First of all, I resent that remark. Second of all, it's a lie. I'm a man. And my wife's a woman. And my kids are kids. Well, they're grown. But they're still my kids. We're subject to the same temptations as you. And we can be filled with the Spirit. And so can you. So can you. I don't have a greater connection to God because I'm a preacher. You have the same connection to God because of Jesus Christ. He is your connection to God, not me. Look to Him. Put Him on the pedestal. Connect to Him and be filled with the Spirit. Here's another one I hear and have heard over the course of my ministry. My spouse... This won't work. I can't be spirit-filled. I can't have a spirit-filled home. My spouse is not a believer. That does make it difficult. And I don't completely understand that. But the Bible does speak to that. The Bible tells us not to be, in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, tells us not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And so my first caution would be to you young people and to those of you who are single still is don't begin a relationship with an unbeliever. A romantic relationship. There's no such thing as missionary dating. If they're not a believer and they're a member of the opposite sex, then you find a good friend who is that same gender, and you ask that friend, would you reach out to this person because they need to know the Lord and not because, so I want to date them. You should, your, your relationships should be up for believers and to believers. And, and some people skip that. And they say, well, you know, I can win them to Christ. And some have. Praise God, some have. And I'm going to show you that in just a moment. But that's not God's will for you to begin a marital relationship with an unbeliever. But if you find yourself in a relationship with an unbeliever, the Bible gives you some, some help. God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12 through 16. Let me begin with verse 10. Now to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And the husband is not to divorce his wife. 
But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe, and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? So if you find yourself in a situation where you're married to an unbeliever, or you're in the household with unbelieving parents or unbelieving children, can this principle of being filled with the Spirit still affect your home? It most certainly can. The presence of God in you, the presence of the Holy Spirit in you, God works through to draw that person to Himself. So if you find yourself to be the unbeliever, And that marriage, especially if you're the wife, the Bible tells you how to do that. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 7, he says, Wives, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word. So this would not only be if you're married to an unbeliever, but if you're married to maybe one who is a believer, but who's not walking with the Lord. And see, I've seen it many times where the wives want to preach to their husbands and and want to be the spiritual leader. Well, my husband won't, so I have to. Let me tell you, wives, that's the wrong thing to do. You're going to drive that husband further from the Lord, not closer. You're stepping out of God's order. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, the head of every woman is man. The head of every man is who? Christ. You want to get your husband's attention? Go over his head. Did y'all get that? Go over his head. Don't go to him. He's going to rebel against you because you're out of God's order. Appeal to his head. Start asking Jesus to break his heart. To convict him. Talk to Jesus about your husband. Or husbands, talk to Jesus about your wife. But he says to the wife here, he says, even if they don't obey the word, they, what's the next three words? Without a word. Women, can you believe that? (laughs) That doesn't make sense to your mind, I know. Without a word. Woo, that's revolutionary. I didn't say that. Did y'all just read that in the Bible? That you, without a word, they, that is the husbands, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. He says... um, You can lead them without a word, wives. When women, which I don't counsel women alone, by the way, 
but when women have talked to me about their unbelieving spouses, their unbelieving husbands, you know, they tell me how they try to talk to them. And we had one lady in Louisiana that uh, her husband was an unbeliever. She had been converted uh, out of the Catholic Church and came to know Christ, and her husband uh, was still uh, lost. And he would let her come to church, but he didn't want to hear anything about it. But she didn't care if he didn't want to hear anything about it. She would take my sermon and go home and preach it to him. And, and she would tell me what she was telling him. And, and I kept saying, well, Miss Helen, that's not the right thing to do. I, I know it's the natural thing to do. You want him to know and to hear, but he's... And for years, I mean, he never did come to know the Lord as long as we were there. We heard that not too long ago that he passed away. And uh, Miss Helen did tell us... or. One of Tana's friends, our, one of our friends back there told us that he did get saved before he died. But it wasn't because Ms. Helen preached to him. Because that's counter-scripture. That's not your role. Without a word. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Don't let your adornment be merely outward. Arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel. Neither let it be... Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the inward corruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And so, your spouse is not a believer. You can still be filled with the Spirit. Husbands, if your wife is not a believer, you need to be praying for her. You need to be praying with her. You need to be... You can lead her. You can speak to her. But you've got to realize that if you're not loving her... As Christ loved the church unconditionally in her lost state, then she's not going to be one either. And if your love and acceptance of her is solely based on her coming to Christ, then she's going to be turned off to you. You need to be meeting her needs and serving her as Christ laid down his life and nourished and cherished the church. You, as a husband of an unbelieving wife, need to be doing those things for her, not expecting anything, not even her salvation in return. And in that way, you open up her heart to see how Christ loves. And you're wooing her in that way to come to Christ. See, this is biblical counsel. This is not stuff you're going to hear when you go pay $300 an hour, you're getting this free. Unless you tithe this morning. Your spouse is sanctified by you. Sanctified. What does that mean? It doesn't mean saved. It means set apart. Because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your home, because of you living there, that spouse has been set apart unto God. And if you depart, we'll say the Bible says, I can leave them. Well, you can. But if you do, you're supposed to remain unmarried. Are you ready for that? Biblically. Or you can stay and pray and love and submit and serve and watch what God will do. Miss Helen could have left Mickey years ago. But you know what? She finally submitted to the Scripture, and she said, Brother Lee, I just started serving him. She said, I wait on him. I get his house shoes for him. I cook his... I just love him. And she did. She loved him. She'd put his britches in the trunk of her car and carry him to church, and she'd say, one day, he's going to fill those britches and come to church with me. 
Literally, she opened her trunk, showed me his britches. <laughs> Mickey was sanctified by Helen. Now he's in heaven because she decided to follow the scriptures and serve him and love him. Some of you say, well, you know, uh, this being filled with the Spirit thing, it's for families that don't have any troubles. It's for families that don't have any problems. Let me ask you this. Who do you know that doesn't have any problems? You say, well, they're so-and-so. Well, you don't really know them that well if you think they don't have any problems. If you look at my family, you say, well, he don't have any problems. Well, you just don't know me. You don't know me very well if you think that's true of me and my family. There's nobody on the face of this earth that doesn't have problems and troubles. Yours are just different than mine. And by the way, I don't want to trade. I know mine. But the Bible says the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, our infirmities. The presence of the Spirit gives me strength in my troubles. Jesus called the Holy Spirit in John 14 when he introduced him, the helper, the advocate. The Holy Spirit is our helper in times of trouble. He's our encourager. Consider Elizabeth. What was her problem? She was barren and she was old. Wasn't any likelihood that she was going to get pregnant, but she did. Consider Mary and Joseph. What was their problem? They were poor. They were obscure. Why me? Why did you choose me? I'm just a, I'm just a, a servant girl. Why, why me? I'm just a carpenter. Consider Moses' parents. They had problems. They were in bondage in Egypt. They were under strict command to yield the boy babies over to Egypt to be slaughtered. But it said, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Listen, there's nobody without problems or troubles or difficulties in this life. The Holy Spirit is there for those times and during those times. Don't look for a trouble-free life before you ask God to bless you and to be filled with the Spirit. It's now. And some would say, you know what, here's another excuse. This, this kind of family, that, that worked back in that day. It was, that's for an easier time and a better world. Man, now that's the one I hear a lot of. Oh, our world's going to hell in a handbasket. You're right. It's been headed that way since Eden. Since the fall of Adam and Eve. It's been going to hell in a handbasket ever since. And it's not getting better. But some look back at the Scripture and say, Oh, it was easy. Well, Adam and Eve had it perfect, didn't they? The only couple to have a perfect marriage, and they messed it up. The only perfect environment, and they still messed it up. But you think, if everything were just perfect, I think if everything were just perfect, it would be so much easier. Walk with the Lord, be filled with the Spirit. Oh, if I could just live in the days of Jesus. Consider the world during the time God gave the Holy Spirit to man. It was under Roman occupation, political upheaval, religious persecution, racial division, and on and on. Sounds a lot like our world. Consider the Garden of Eden, paradise, a perfect world. Adam and Eve messed that up. Don't blame them. Had you been Adam or Eve, you'd have done the same thing, because you have, and I have. Consider history from the beginning till now. From the fall 
of man to Noah was about a thousand years. From Noah to Eli, who I just talked about, was another 1,700 years. From Eli to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, was another 1,200 years. And from Zechariah to us is about 2,017 years. You rough, rough that out totally, it's about 6,000 years. So why do I share this? I want to remind you, if you go back and look at the history, what does it say about Noah? And the days of Noah were evil. God saw that every thought of their mind was only evil continuously. All they ever thought of, all they ever did was evil, evil, evil. They ate, drank, and slept evil. They thought evil. They planned evil. They plotted evil. They just couldn't get away from it. Jesus said, as it were were in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. You see, the days are not any different, y'all. They were just as bad then as they are now. But there were men like Noah who were filled with God's Spirit, who sanctified their family for His sake. It can happen. People say, I don't want to raise kids in this generation. Why not? We need godly kids to be raised up in this generation. Why let all the sinners and pagans have the kids? Let's raise up some kids. Be fruitful, be multiply and multiply and raise up a generation of godly men and godly women who'll make a difference, who'll shine their light in this dark and dreary world. Don't back down like the devil wants you to. How can you make a difference? Have some godly kids. That's what we tried to do, huh, baby? People thought we were Catholic. We we were in Louisiana. 85%. Are y'all Catholic? No. Jewish? No. We just love children. I mean, five. We tell people, five, get you. What, what's the deal? Y'all know what causes that? <laughs> Y'all know Tana, and she, uh, she knew how to silence people when they put that question to her. One man said, Seems like your husband needs a hobby. <laughs> Tana said, I think he already has one. Say, I can't believe you just said that from the pulpit. I bet you heard worse than that on TV yesterday, last night. Why do I share all this? To remind you that except for Eden, there's never been an easy time in a perfect world. Times have always been evil. But God has always been present in the lives of His people who surrendered their lives to Him. He filled them with His Spirit and used them to make a difference and shine His light in this dark and troubled world. And therefore, many others followed that light and also became his people filled with his spirit. Quit using excuses of why you can't be and your family can't be filled with the spirit. Every excuse you got, God's got an answer for. And that's just what it is, an excuse for you not wanting to surrender your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's time to stop thinking this can't happen in my family. It's time to start believing that you and your home can enjoy a spirit-filled life and an atmosphere which will be a sweet fragrance and a shining light to other homes and families around you. So what do you do? You have to confess your excuses as sin. Lord, it just boils down to my disobedience. I can't blame my wife anymore. Preacher just took that from me. Can't blame my husband anymore. 
Preacher just took that from me. By the way, I didn't take it from you. It's the Word of God. Lord, it's just, it's just me. It's my disobedience. It's my selfishness. It's my pride. Confess it and ask God to cleanse you and forgive you of it. Admit your need to be filled with God's Spirit. God, I can't love her. I can't submit or respect Him on my own. I can't honor my parents, which we're getting to that in the next few weeks, y'all. So y'all, but I'm not going to tell you when because y'all won't be here, but we're coming to that. I can't respect my parents because they don't, I can't honor them. They don't live an honorable life. You got to get rid of all those excuses and just say, it's between me and God. I need your spirit. I need you to fill me because I can't do this on my own. And ask the Holy Spirit to fill you fresh and new today. Right here, right now. Acknowledge His presence within you. Lord, you said, my body, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. He already lives here. But Lord, I've been quenching Him with my attitudes and my words and my motives. And and I'm sorry. Would you fill me again? Cause me to feel your power and manifest your fruit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. And then purpose when you sin. That is, when you grieve and quench the Spirit, that you'll quickly repent and come back to it. You see, you can have a Spirit-filled home. You can have a spirit-filled family. And so can I. Let's bow together.